My name is Jen Ashby. I'm on the staff here and have the joy of looking at God's word with you this morning. As soon as COVID-19 hit the U.S., there started to be a whole lot of conversation about essential business and essential workers. And in general, many people grasped the concept. We had just entered into a pandemic. We didn't know a lot about this virus yet or how it spreads. And so let's not get into a lot of unnecessary contact until we get a handle on this. But then there were and are a million disagreements about what is and isn't essential and how long these essentials only rules should last and who gets to determine those benchmarks and decisions. We are still in the throes of this debate and it does not look like it will be ending anytime soon. Among Christians, past and present, there is a similar dynamic. Many Christians grasp this concept that there are central truths to the gospel of Jesus that all Christians should hold on to. And then there are other things that either the Bible isn't clear about or the Bible doesn't speak to at all. And on those things, we should be okay with differences of opinions among us. Most Christians would agree with this general idea. But when we start moving from the general to the specifics, there are a million disagreements about which truths are central and which aren't. What is essential to Christian belief and practice? And what isn't? What things must Christians agree on? And where can we agree to disagree? That was a situation in the Roman church at the time of Paul's writing. And we have a large portion of scripture for this morning, all of chapter 14 and the first seven verses of chapter 15. So we're going to look at this in some broad brushstrokes from a very high level. I've been helped by the work of Timothy Keller on this passage, especially from his book, Romans 8 to 16 for you. And you'll hear some of Keller coming through this morning. First of all, Know what's essential. And we're going to spend most of our time here. Romans 14, 1 to 2. Accept those whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat everything. But another person whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. In this passage, Paul talks about two different types of Christians in the church at Rome. One group he calls weak. These Christians, probably from a Jewish background, still have some ideas about earning their salvation or earning favor with God. They haven't worked out all the implications of the gospel quite yet. They're still hanging on to some legalistic ideas. Specifically, they can't be sure that the meat in the Roman market is kosher, and so they've decided to just not meet, eat meat at all. They also continue to observe all of the Jewish ceremonial holidays. And the problem isn't necessarily that they do these things, but rather why they do these things. They do them because they believe that they're necessary to salvation or somehow connected with earning God's favor. So this group of weak Christians puts too many things in the essentials bucket. The other group of Christians Paul calls strong. 
this group understands the implications of the gospel a little better. They understand their salvation is a gift of grace by faith. It does not depend on what they do. And so there are areas where they feel free. So this group of Christians puts more things in the non-essentials bucket. Now, in calling one group weak and the other group strong, Paul is saying that one group is wrong and the other group is right, sort of. But we're going to find out that neither group is off the hook. Paul is going to have correction for both groups, as we will see. Not every issue goes in the essentials bucket for Christians. But at the same time, not everything goes in the non-essentials bucket. The Christian life is not meant to be a long, detailed, burdensome list of things we have to think and do. That's too many essentials. But it's also not meant to be a total free-for-all where we can think and do whatever we want in all spheres of life. That's too many non-essentials. So what is essential? As a general rule, things that are clear and repeated in scripture are essential. Take, for example, this list of phrases that come from the Bible. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. God sent his son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He who has the son has life. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is essential. His person, his work, belief in him is essential. In the early church, before there was even one church split, <laughs> there was a list of essentials for Christians, and we call it the Apostles' Creed. It goes back at least as far as 390 AD. Let's check this out. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Christian Church. The Holy Christian Church. The Holy Christian Church. The communion of saints. The communion of saints. The communion of saints. The forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. The resurrection of the body. The resurrection of the body. The resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. 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 Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sandra Chin and Susan Anderson and Joel Sauter and Jonathan Holman and Matthew Sale for reminding us what is essential. So what's not essential? As a general rule, 
things that the Bible is not especially clear about or that the Bible doesn't speak to at all are non-essentials. And Christians don't need to agree on those things. Keller says, if there is broad disagreement among mature Bible-honoring Christians on some issue, we must be willing to concede that it is disputable. Disputable would be another word for a non-essential. So among mature Bible-honoring Christians, there are different views on theological issues, such as the timing and mode of baptism, or the mechanics of communion, or the sequence of events when Jesus returns. Most denominations, like our denomination, the Christian and Missionary Alliance, will have positions on at least some of these issues, but most denominations, including our denomination, is not saying that people in other denominations aren't Christians. And there are many ways as Christians with different positions on these kinds of issues can worship and work together. So the United in Action Christ for Justice event that happened just a few weeks ago in our county is one example. Our denomination is trying to keep our list of essentials as short as possible. Right now, our denomination is having conversations about taking something out of our statement of faith regarding the sequence of events when Jesus comes back. We are thinking about saying that it's okay to be a licensed minister in the Alliance like Mark or myself and see the sequence differently. Our church is also trying to keep our list of essentials as short as possible. There are real life issues that the Bible doesn't directly address. And those are matters of your own conscience. We will teach the principles from the Bible that are clear. And we will pray with you and for you. And if you want us to, we will listen with you and try to help you discern what God may be saying to you for your situation. But we will not dictate to you, for example, if or where you should send your children to school, if you have children, or if or to what extent you can drink alcohol, or who you should vote for. That would be a violation of our tax status anyway. These are not essentials per se. They are non-essentials. They are matters of conscience. So when you are trying to make a decision about a matter of conscience, in other words, when you're trying to make a decision about something that isn't clearly explained or taught in the Bible, here are some helpful questions for you to consider. Can I do this before Christ? Can I do it with an eye upon him? Can I do it in his name, thanking him for it? Know what's essential. And secondly, bear with others. Bear with others. Romans 14, 3. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. The one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted that person. So here's what Paul is saying. The weaker Christians were judgmental 
of the other group because they didn't follow enough rules. And Paul says that that's wrong. But the stronger Christians showed contempt for the other group because they were too rule bound. And Paul says that's also wrong. Keller says the likely view of the strong is to feel much more mature, advanced, wise, and spiritually sophisticated. And here's the thing, that each one of us can be a weak Christian when it comes to some things and a strong Christian when it comes to other things. In other words, we could have really deep convictions about some disputable matters and be pretty indifferent about other disputable matters. So here's a spiritual formation question that you could journal about this week. Can you see any area in which you may be a weaker Christian? If you can, how do these verses challenge you and change you? In other words, can you see any areas of life where you may have some really strong opinions about things that aren't clearly articulated and repeated in the Bible? Areas in which you might be prone to judge other Christians. Take some time to unpack that with the Lord and see where he takes you. Paul says in Romans 15, 1, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Bear with others. Bear with others. In non-essential matters of theology or life decisions, we are to respect each other's differences. If one of us lets our kids dress up for Halloween and another one of us doesn't, we're not to judge each other. If one of us thinks tattoos are fine, one of us thinks that they are not, we are not to judge each other. We're not to be prideful because we're keeping a rule, but we're also not to be prideful for being above the rules. Rather, we are each to follow our own conscience on disputable matters and recognize that other people are also following their own conscience. And finally, be like Jesus. Romans 15, five to seven says, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Paul is saying that Christians are to treat each other the way Jesus treated us. Now we're also supposed to treat those who aren't Christians the way Jesus treated us, but this passage is about Christians. And how did Jesus treat us or how does Jesus treat us? Jesus laid aside the splendor of heaven, laid aside his glory in a sense and came to earth for us. Jesus taught about the essentials. Jesus encountered all kinds of people who disagreed with him. Jesus stayed engaged with people nevertheless. And ultimately he laid down his life for others. Surely we as Christians who understand what has been done for us 
and who have within us the Holy Spirit empowering us, surely we can find a way to accept other Christians who have different perspectives on disputable matters. Surely we can find ways to worship and work together even when we don't agree. In 1627, around the time of the Protestant Reformation, which was not the first major church split, but it was a pretty big one. Around that time, a man named Rupertus Meldinius said this, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. But when I was a young adult, I was taught, I guess inaccurately, that this quote comes from John Chrysostom and it goes like this. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, Jesus Christ. I think I like the inaccurate quote better. (laughs) In all things, Jesus, whether we're talking about essentials or whether we're talking about disputable matters, may the way that we think, the way that we speak, reflect Jesus. I'll be honest with you, sometimes I want to be like that powdered milk in the vinegar that just curdles up and hangs on to my own attitude. Or I want to be like the oil that stays separate and hangs on to what I want to hang on to. But may we be like that water that melds together with vinegar so you can't even tell the difference. May our attitudes meld together with the attitude of Jesus, no matter what we're talking about. Last fall, I was in a conversation with some of our denominational leaders about a fairly important issue about which we don't all agree. And there were quite a few people in the conversation. uh, And I was one of the people who saw the issue one way. And the person sitting directly to my right was a person who saw the issue another way. And we were both pretty passionate and pretty outspoken. And when we took a, a break, a little coffee break from this conversation, this person on my right turned to me and said, in all sincerity, Jen, What would make this a good conversation for you? What would make this a good conversation for you? And that is the kind of question that comes from someone who is trying to be like Jesus. And so I told him that I appreciated the question. I respected him for asking it. And then I said a few things like, Let's try to assume the best about each other. Let's assume that we are both desiring to honor God and to understand and obey his word. Let's try not to see ourselves as facing off each other with this issue in the middle. Let's try to see ourselves side by side looking at the issue out front. So, He and I still disagree. And our denomination still has to decide whether we're going to keep that issue in the essentials bucket or whether we're going to let churches abide by their own conscience. 
But here are two people who are really endeavoring to be like Jesus and to have his attitude towards each other. And as challenging as it is, and I have been deeply challenged in the last year, as challenging as it is, I am confident that Jesus is glorified in a moment like that. Jesus is glorified in a moment like that. So in essentials, let's have unity. And in non-essentials, liberty, freedom. But in all things, in all things, Jesus Christ. Know the essentials, bear with one another, and let's be like Jesus. Let's pray together. God, we honor you as the essential, the central figure in all of history, as the central figure of the church, as a central figure of our lives. And God, we thank you for your word, which is sufficient for teaching us what is necessary for life and for godliness. God, if we've somehow missed an essential truth, would you reveal that to us? Would you impress that upon us? And God, if we've taken something that's not essential and put too much importance on it, would you reveal that to us as well? God, where we have been prideful because we keep the rules and we've looked down on others for not keeping the rules, would you convict us? And God, when we've been prideful for being mature and sophisticated beyond the rules and have looked down on those that we think are too restrictive, would you also convict us? And God, would you make us more like Jesus? May the image of Christ be formed in us more deeply and more completely. We pray these things in his name. Amen.